My name is Jose and welcome to the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. The internal recruitment market has undergone quite a shakeup over the last few months, and I wanted to bring you some clarity as to the status of our market. Our guest this week is Peter Miller from Hawkwood. Peter recruits HR and internal recruiters into media and tech companies in London. His domain experience is unmatched, and he's here to tell us, what's the status of our market and how will it develop? What are the top skills employers are looking for in internal recruiters? What's the best job search strategy at the moment? We'll answer this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Cool. And we're recording now. Hi, Peter. Hello. How's it going? Very good. And you, how are things? Good. Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Not too bad. All things considering. Yeah, fully, fully agree. It's been a, well, let's not even go into that, how tricky it's been. Uh, <laughs> but it's finally good to, to speak with you and to, to see you also because, you know, we've been in contact a few times since you work in the internal recruitment space. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been good working with you. And uh, I know you're, 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 you have quite a lot of insights when it comes to internal recruitment here in London. So I really wanted to get you on the podcast to unpack a little bit uh, your experience, your thoughts on the market, and and sort of where it's going. Yeah, no, I uh, you know I hope I can share some you know sort of uh, valuable insights. So um, yeah, no, I look really looking forward to it. Nice one. Well, just to just to begin, can you give us a quick overview of of your experience, but also a quick overview of Hawkwood? Yeah, let me give you a bit of an overview. So we support companies within the kind of tech and creative industries in building out their people and talent functions. Our clients range from early stage startups that are going through the funding rounds through to, you know, some more established brands like Facebook, Google DeepMind, Palantir, Treatwell, Babylon Health, you know, Discovery, uh, iTech Media and kind of various others that you'll probably be more familiar with. Um, Hawkwood are about four years old now. So Christian launched the business. I then joined about 12 months later. Um, Christian and myself, we used to work together uh, at Michael Page, funnily enough. Um, when he launched the business, we kind of stayed in touch and we stood, we're both Arsenal fans. So we'd go and watch the football together and stuff like that and had lots of conversations. And I think he was kind of deliberating whether to, you know, hire someone and grow the business and all the stars aligned. So I joined him. Um, we've absolutely kind of loved the journey so far. We've worked with some incredible businesses and um, yeah, we've also managed to convinced somehow you know a few other people to you know join along the way so um yeah there's now six of us so it's um yeah really exciting i just wanted to to to, to ask what was that you you worked at michael page before this right or what yeah. was the switch like from michael page to doing your own sort of thing with with Hawkwood? it, it was huge <laughs> it, it, and uh, no honestly and I, I, something i always talk to people about now it uh, what I found at somewhere like uh, Michael Page, I'm, I mean, I used to work for TripAdvisor as well before that. And I think, you know, the one thing I find is that when you work for an organization as large as that, you you tend to just adapt to the people around you and the culture, which, you know, naturally you would when you work for a, a um, you know, a, a business. And I think what I found is that when they're moving to somewhere like Hawkwood, that, that, that wasn't defined and actually it was almost down to me to kind of define what I wanted that to be 
so you know you know if you know christian or i've spoke to christian you know he's very kind of transparent very candid like you know he's pretty you can you really get a sense of like his personality and i think that's what i quite enjoyed i could just come to work and be myself every day i didn't need to try and fit a you know mold of other people that you know already work there and um yeah i loved it you know i you know can be kind of completely authentic to yourself which um yeah i've really enjoyed it's probably been the the best thing for me really yeah i kind of get that experience from speaking to people that have worked in those larger sort of recruitment type companies like hayes or michael page and the difference in terms of culture like it's very suited and booted right and very corporate well not to not using that as a negative but yeah it kind of you know kind of the impression you get no. from people is that it's very much that whereas and then you go into like a more sort of startup environment and it's like oh i can wear jeans now and uh, and the shirt and everything no, so it's really fair you know and i wouldn't ever um, deter anyone from going and having that experience because actually you know when you're young you first move to london it's a great way to meet new people um but you know as you start trying to kind of you know, work out your own way of doing things. Actually, I, I, for me, it's been great anyway, getting that experience within somewhere that, you know, there are no kind of predefined, um, uh, you know, there's no like kind of predefined mold of what you need to fit into. Neo, no, for, fully agree, fully agree on that point. Now let's talk about the, um, you know, one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about was the uh, internal recruitment market at the moment. Um, and uh, and just to maybe start with a broad overview, because naturally COVID has changed everything. And before this, it was like it was it was doing pretty well. But then in the short term, things changed dramatically. And now we're sort of wondering where, where it's at. And and I guess, you know, keen to know your thoughts, your general overview on things. Mm. Unfortunately, it, it, you know, the talent market is in a really tough place right now. However, I am optimistic that things will bounce back quite quickly. Although, you know, I think it's probably more important than ever that talent professionals are, you know, upskilling and, you know, building out their personal brand and network, which, you know, I think we'll probably come on to later in the conversation. But, you know, it's been quite a journey over the past six months, you know, for some kind of context to that, it, you know, almost immediately we saw, you know, lots of companies being very decisive um, about the future of their talent functions. Um, you know, I would say more so at the more slightly junior level um, and possibly uh, individual contributors. I think they were probably impacted the most, um, you know, as we saw with, you know, without kind of going into, you know, company names, but I think it's all quite public now, you know, the likes of Deliveroo, uh, Babylon Health, Revolut, you know, some of these kind of like maturing scale-ups you know, who rely quite heavily on this individual contributor model, you know, they, they, they will, it was quite clear and apparent that, you know, it wasn't going to be needed for the next kind of 12 to 18 months. So they were quite decisive, you know, and it's the same for the kind of junior end of the market as well. Um, I think the, the talent partner level and the head of talent roles have actually remained relatively resilient, you know, depending on how badly uh, the business has been impacted by everything that's gone on. Um, you know, albeit I imagine even lots of those roles were, you know, they would have spent at least some time on the furlough scheme because there was that kind of two month, three months where, you know, up until probably June, where literally kind of nothing was going on 
uh, at all. Um, and then, yeah, as, as I mentioned, briefly mentioned there, we got to kind of June, July time, and we did start to see like a flurry of activity, you know, as lockdown restrictions were eased. Um, and, you know, people were able to kind of freely travel, you know, the international travel bans were lifted, you know, lots of people were kind of making the most of that, you know, having not been away for, you know, five months or whatever it was at that point. Um, but, you know, we've all of a sudden, you know, and then August stumped things. Yes, yeah, so then August stumped things a little bit. And then as we moved into kind of September, we have started to see things pick up now. So, you know, I'm anticipating for it to probably for there to be a bit of momentum until well, we get towards the end of the year. And as soon as we get to December, January time, it does tend to be um, quite a time, quite a time of year, um, as always. Yeah, I agree. I kind of felt August was kind of quiet. I think maybe because people were maybe on holiday or roles were still sort of on hold. September sort of seemed like it really picked up. I mean, it depends on the week. You know, it's some weeks are better than, than others, but it definitely does feel like there's been somewhat of a change and hopefully that will progress into October. But we know, um, you know, especially once you start getting to December and early sort of January, those are sort of the tough tough months where demand is is um is low and people are on holiday for christmas and everything so it's definitely going to be a, a tricky one to 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 observe at the very least no indeed and i think you know we've already started to see things pick up but you know, at, definitely at that more junior end of the market you know i think lots of companies have started to see the volume of applications that they're getting the head of talent or the talent whoever it may be you know to manage those applications it's obviously a lot of time and you know candidate experience is obviously more important than ever so they need to make sure they're being managed you know in the most kind of like effective way so you know we're seeing lots of like recruitment coordinator roles talent uh, coordinator roles out there to support with that so those roles have bounced back really quickly having been hit quite hard early on so i think that will continue but i also think you know there will be a stage where actually people will need more than that you know especially when they're trying you know the given how important it is to be building a brand you know it, you can't solely just rely on you know reacting to incoming applications especially within the tech space well one thing that you you mentioned some time ago when we spoke was it depends also on when very large sort of tech recruit not tech recruitment, but tech companies start hiring recruiters again. For example, if Facebook or Google all of a sudden decide, you know what, we're going to need a good sort of 10 or 15. Um, I think um, via another recruiter, I heard that um, there's one very big company that's going to be doing a lot of recruitment now when it comes to, you know, looking for recruiters on sort of six month, nine month contracts. So I think especially once those companies start to to say, okay, we need a good 10 or 15 recruiters, then the tide sort of changes. So I think hopefully without, you know, touching wood and everything, things will change in the short term dramatically almost. I think that's it, to be honest with you. And that's what's really hard to get a gauge on the market currently and where it's going to be at. Because I think it will be so dependent on, well, I think, yeah, you touched on it there, you know, the kind of, the big in inverted commas the big tech hiring freeze that people are talking about you know the likes of the you know the facebook's the google's etc you know having slowing down hiring you know they would typically be probably snapping up maybe 20 30 percent of the talent market now if they're not then 
you know that's people that are applying for other roles i think it, you know in addition to that it sounds like it seems as though vc investment um, has certainly slowed down which you know means that you know for lots of these startups and scale-ups you know hiring isn't necessarily at the top of their agenda you know they've got other things they need to be thinking about worrying about um and we're obviously not seeing as many of these startups come through albeit we have started to see because there have actually been some that have been really resilient and actually have almost profited um you know over the past six months which is obviously you know great for them um and i think the other thing is career movers and i know this is something that we talked about the other day but you know when when people aren't you know people's uh, motivations at the moment are you know predominantly job security you know they're not looking for uh, to move roles for a pay rise or for the next step in their career because yeah you know, they're, they're mindful that, you know, they need, they want a job and they don't want to lose their job. So I think, you know, we're starting, you know, some of the conversations I've been having over the past couple of weeks have definitely been more focused. You know, they have been with people that actually have worked solidly throughout, have been really, really busy. And, you know, they're at a point now where they don't, you know, these are people that are really ambitious. They don't want to put their job search on hold uh, any longer and that, you know, or their career on hold any longer. And, um, you know they're ready to kind of you know get cracking again um i think and the other thing to be honest and it's something i think it's important to talk about and not completely to dismiss is you know the second wave i think you know while there's talk of a second wave you know there will definitely be nervousness about hiring and growth but you know let's just wait and see what happens yeah, fully agree. What about any particular industries? I know, especially early on, all of a sudden everyone was hiring, um, you know, health recruiters or law recruiters or and all of a sudden a lot of people became specialists in law recruitment and and, and you know, the health sector. Like, that's a strange one. I've, I mean, I, I know a lot of recruiters, but I've never met I don't know. I've never met one that specializes in pharma type stuff. I, either they're so rare that you don't really see them, but what's, what's, what are sort of the industries that you've seen, and especially right now that are really, really maybe growing um, compared to the beginning? Mm, good question. The, I think life sciences definitely, um, there, there's certainly been a big push for that. I think a lot of the agencies do tend to be based out of London mm. just because that's where a lot of the clients are based as well um i think you know and just to add to that health tech obviously there's been a big push uh, over the past six months you know lots of those companies have you know been incredibly resilient and been working really hard throughout um the delivery you know any kind of delivery industry so you know we've seen lots of these kind of um I don't know, is it log tech, like logistic tech startups um, that have, you know, started doing quite well, you know, Echo, I don't know if you've come across those guys. Um, it's like pharmaceutical uh, delivery, like the delivery for within the like pharmaceutical industry. Um, what are some of the others? I mean, there's some of the key, and obviously, you know, SaaS companies as well. Uh, you know, I think early on, there was lots of, um, you know, uncertainty about, you know, what are they going to do if they've got, you know, if they predominantly provide a service that, you know, people would use in and around the office, how can they transition that into a, you know, a tool that people could use from home. But I think, you know, a lot of them have done quite well, you know, in terms of like collaboration tools and stuff like that. So I would say those companies seem to have been a lot more resilient, but, you know, we're definitely seeing some others come through as well, which is exciting. 
Yeah, it's funny when you have non-recruiter friends that tell you just do pharma recruitment. Yeah, and you're like, well, that, it doesn't work that way. You it's know? not as like, easy as that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, or just go back to agency, and I'm like, yeah, you know, doesn't doesn't yeah. quite work that way. I mean, but yeah, well, wanted to to move into well, maybe something related, which is like. Um, the top skills that right now employers are mainly looking for when it comes to internal recruiters, because um, I mean, uh, that's maybe been one of the discussions like, okay, if we're not recruiting, what else can we do? Um, Which is always tricky. At the same time, people maybe think I want to upskill. I want to learn new, new skills that will help me in my job search what are, have you seen a change maybe in the skills um, hiring managers or, or companies are looking for? Is it still the same? Um, what else can, can recruiters learn and improve that, that, that will improve their chances in landing a, a job? Yeah, good question. And, and I think with this one, I, I wouldn't actually say that it's changed a huge amount. There have been things that we've seen over the past maybe six to 12 months become a lot more like kind of prevalent mm. um so i will talk about those but i think you know the, the key things haven't changed you know i think the, the the kind of the first thing being like a problem solving skill set which is you know the ability to think creatively be quite resourceful and also be quite like systematic with things as well um and i know this is like a really like soft skill so it's slightly less tangible but i think it's definitely one for people to think about so yeah the first one i would say is probably uh, problem solving the second one i would say would be uh, like building out systems and frameworks one thing that we hear lots from you know startups especially you know, when you're working with a founder of a tech startup, it's, you know, what, what are the kind of clear frameworks and what are the tools that people use to, and you know, what are some of the, in fact, what they basically, what they want is a system that can be repeated mm-hmm. over and over again. And, you know, for them, it's about, you know, what sourcing channels are you using? You know, what data are you utilizing? What's your kind of referral system? you know interview frameworks uh managing candidates effectively etc and then you know if all of that fails what's the solution Um, and i guess that goes back to my first point which was around the kind of creativity and problem solving because you know the the in-house talent function is there you know not to say oh that doesn't exist or we can't do that it's about kind of trying to identify problems uh, sorry um, identify solutions so um yeah i think kind of just like generally building out like systems and frameworks to support the business um to help navigate you know when your times are you know perhaps uh, the volume has picked up or things are a bit busier generally um i think a focus on like candidate experience and candidate outreach you know, someone who sees hiring as more than just sending someone a message and seeing if they're interested or available, you know, it's more about, you know, identifying a candidate, reaching out to them and, you know, understanding that, you know, that's where the candidate experience journey starts, you know, and especially when you're a kind of a consumer facing business, you know what you, what you can't and you know given how vulnerable someone is when they're going through that 
um, job search, I think it's really important that, you know, they don't have a negative experience because, you know, we're obviously a lot more sensitive when we're going, you know, when we put ourselves out there like that. So I think, you know, definitely candidate experience is another really key thing to be thinking about. Um, another one, which again is probably uh, quite obvious, but, you know, the ability to like uh, manage stakeholders effectively. Um, you know, an example of this would be, you know, if you have a hard to fill role, you know, it's important that you're able to present ideas to hiring managers, you know, using things like data, insights, market feedback, um, and various other methods that, you know, you can use to help influence the hiring manager. You know, I, I, I think there are probably too many examples or, you know, certainly one of the biggest frustrations from hiring managers, you know, certainly when they're interviewing people is that, you know, that there's not a solution and, you know, some, what we can't be doing is saying that person doesn't exist. Um, or if we are saying that person doesn't exist, we're saying it with, I, I know that for these reasons and then presenting that data to them. Um, and then saying, look, the only other option is we wait until someone comes available. Um, so that's another one. Um, and then I touched on uh, this point a little bit a minute ago, but I think the uh, employer branding um, is probably more important than it's ever been. You know, I think recruiters should also be considering themselves as marketeers. Um, you know, this also includes you know, building out your personal brand, um, you know, whether that be on LinkedIn, whether that be, um, you know, in like community forums or whatever it may be, you know, making people aware of who you are. And just to add to that as well, you know, just being generally being plugged into the market, you know, knowing what's going on, who's hiring, who's not hiring, um, you know, being part of Slack groups, whether that be DBR, whether that be various other community like talent community forums, um, and you know who's raised money, all these sort of you know what some of the latest trends are. I think these are some of the key thing. You know, if I think about when someone's interviewing with a client, like some of the biggest frustrations when they're interviewing someone is you know they the capability wise they know that they can do the job, but the the thing that they're looking for is that like broader skill set. You know, when you're speaking with a founder, it's something they're obviously incredibly passionate about, and you know sometimes they're looking for that from everyone that joins, you know, including the talent function, just given that you're the person that's going to be going out there and, you know, engaging with, uh, you know, prospective um, employees. Yeah, I've noticed over the last six months, I don't know if things have changed in terms of the skills that hiring managers are looking for, but there are a lot of roles or responsibilities that are a bit on a gray area. I mean, I've interviewed for this one role. They were looking for like this recruitment slash office manager slash HR. And then it's like, wait, what? That's three roles in one. So that's 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 a bit crazy, you know, because you're in charge of recruitment, but also you got to make sure that everyone's got pens and papers. And also you got to do a bit of payroll for everyone, which is okay. That's That's a bit unusual. Another one was this one role that was asking for 25% of the time you should be doing HR related type responsibilities, though I think that sort of HR uh, responsibilities type stuff that's more that's very rare I mean a lot of recruiter roles. Um, 
intuitively, intuitively you think, oh, there's a lot of HR involved, but actually um, most roles that I've seen, they, they keep those things quite separate, right? So HR and, uh, and recruitment. Well, I mean, you say that we, we've probably over the past maybe 12 to 18 months or 18 months to 24 months, we, we have started to see this transition where, and I think it depends which order you do it in. Mm. You know, if you hire your head of people first or someone into your people function first and then hire a talent professional, you, typically their remit will be hiring and some additional projects to support the head of people. Now, if you do it the other way around, what we tend to see is that the talent partner would come in. This would be someone, I mean, depending on you know what their growth plans are, could be someone between maybe 45 to 70, 80,000. And they would be responsible for basically coming in, hiring, but also you know picking up some of those projects that you uh, just mentioned, you know, so also some of the people projects, onboarding, um, looking at candidate experience, uh, looking at um, you know, general like office stuff as well, you know, because I think that's also part of the like, whole onboarding experience. Like, it's really important, especially if there isn't someone in the people function. It's really important that, you know, someone's able to pick that up. And often I think, you know, given that the talent person's brought those people into the business, they've obviously got a really good understanding and a really good relationship with them to support them uh, on that journey. So we, we have started to see more of those roles. And actually, I, I anticipate perhaps more of them coming up as well. Um, I think it's a very cost effective way of doing it. Generally, lots of people in the talent space have really good like people skills and a really good understanding of, um, you know, people and what they want. So, yeah, I, I think we probably will see a bit more of that, you know, especially as businesses are quite stretched. Quick question. Would it be then worth getting a, uh, I know we touched upon this in another discussion, but would it be worth getting one of those CIPD type, qualifications level three or is it more just okay a few buy a few books udemy skillshare and you you should be all right honestly probably not i i think you know if if you had the disposable income and you were really passionate about it and interested in it then i would give it a thumbs up and say look it's definitely worth doing to, to spend the sort of money that you would need to spend to do it. I, I don't know whether you would get a return on your investment. I, I, well, you would, but, you know, perhaps there would be other things you could be better to spend that money on. You know, for example, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the recruiters transitioning into more of a kind of, or being able to, you know, act and operate as a marketeer doing a marketing course could almost be more valuable than doing a CIPD course or even perhaps a program management course or, um, you know, a course in uh, like, you know, data and, you know, data utilization or something, you know, those are the sort of things that would probably, you know, help you stand out and would be more valuable than doing a course in CIPD. Now, having said that, if your ambitions are to transition into a people partner role or a HR manager role, then, it would probably be worthwhile getting what we tend to see though is that once someone people that do lots of talent professionals will transition into a people folk you know a people role but they will tend to do it once they get to a 
head of talent level as opposed to doing it at a you know talent partner level or you know a slightly more junior level than that so it's really common but the CRPD is great I probably you know unless you had the money to spend on it um do but you know that there are probably other courses that you could do that would cost a bit less well keen to get your thoughts on this one because i know the the needs for certain skills have seemed to have remained stable but if there's in my personal opinion the one skill that everyone has been looking for is diversity i mean yeah especially since like certain things in the in the u.s happened now a lot of employers have noticed are looking for you know a recruiter or well to be fair maybe more of a head of people but a lot of recruiters also that ideally should have experience with diversity initiatives or giving unconscious bias trainings which for me that that was quite a surprise because i mean i've met loads of recruiters and they i mean no one really does that almost when it comes to their recruitment function so now it's sort of been it's 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 one of those gray sort of initiatives that you can sort of that seems like you can pass around to the recruiter or to the hr um so i mean what are your thoughts there when it comes to um recruiters doing diversity type stuff um is there a way to learn that would you advise that would you say it's more of a hr type type responsibility what are your thoughts there no, I, I think it's a really good point. And, you know, I think we can all be doing our bit. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, if you work in a much larger organization or if you're employed, you know, I think it, it, it obviously it is down to, you know, each of us individually. But I also think, you know, the, the organization or the company itself should also take some responsibility as well to ensure that, you know, everyone has been given the right support, whether that be training, whether that be workshops, whatever it may be. Um, yeah you know this this is definitely something that you know lots of companies are well aware of i actually think at the moment because of how big of an issue it is you know it would be naive for a company to think that okay well look let's just train our talent team up to ensure that we're more, more diverse or you know we can solve this problem now that, that, that's not going to be the answer so i think you know what lots of companies have done that recognize that it's an issue that you know they are bringing someone in you know you've probably seen online read reports the number of roles within uh you know uh, dni has increased significantly mm-hmm. which is absolutely brilliant um and actually i think that's probably where the need should be because you know we can all be doing our bit but actually i think you know we need to be you know, we need more, like, you know, we, we need more support. So whether that be with a, you know, a head of DNI is to come in and, you know, sit down with, you know, across all of the business to kind of just help people understand, you know, things like unconscious bias and, you know, some of the various other things. Um, yeah, you know, in my opinion, that's where the focus needs to be, you know, as much as we're all responsible for our own actions and, you know, um, supporting ourselves. But um, I, I think it, the the push needs to come from the business um, as much, if not more, well, more so probably. Um, but it's definitely a, a really uh, big topic at the moment. And I think every, uh, in, you know, every recruiter, uh, whether they're in-house or agency, in fact, um, should certainly have a position on it and should certainly um, have looked to seek more information to help them. Have you seen any, I mean, 
I mean, you that's, you've spoken to so many recruiters, have you seen any that have taken courses for this or have done uh, seminars or anything along those lines? Or is it more something, you know, through just uh, reading the literature that you can learn? Or is it more something top, top down that, that management sort of looks at and then the recruiter sort of follows, follows orders? Um, what are your thoughts there? Most people I've spoken with have seeked the content themselves and that's, you know, just personal development content, read books and read literature. Now, you know, there are courses that you can do. Um, You know, I I can understand why, you know, at the moment, if someone's unemployed, you know, out of work to spend money on that course, it it would probably be quite a big ask just given Mm. that, you know, they're probably, worrying about paying their rent at the end of the month so you know I, I think it's about almost when you're going through the interview process with a company you know asking wh- you know whether it is on their agenda you know what are some of the things they've been doing you know expressing your passion and interest for it and you know making it quite clear to them that actually you haven't had much experience and you want you know you think it's really important that they're running some workshops and stuff so i think that you know when i'm kind of saying about the, the owner should be on the employer you know i think it should but actually the you know the candidate or whoever's going through the interview process should be making it quite clear that actually these are what their expectations are yeah gotcha gotcha now shifting gears a little bit um, we've we've talked about the industry we talked about sort of what skills are good to to learn at this stage what about the job search itself, right? I mean, we've seen applying through through LinkedIn has been a bit tricky. You know, you've maybe it's starting to change a bit, but you'll apply to that one TikTok role that has 900 applications, or you'll <laughs> apply to some some other thing with 600 applications. So that's a bit tricky. Um, what what's what are what are some of the best ways that you've seen that that recruiters can 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 get a role or maybe be be creative? Yeah. And I think just to echo that, you know, the first thing to say on this is, you know, don't solely rely on roles being posted on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think people would be really surprised with how few roles actually even make it that far. You know, it it isn't cheap to advertise a role on LinkedIn. You know, it costs a thousand pounds, a couple of thousand pounds. So, you know, it's certainly not cheap. And I think, you know, what people, especially given the influx of candidates and the number of applications that a company would receive, you know, their their ideal scenario would be to reach out to someone that they've worked with previously or someone, a friend of a friend or someone in their network that they can hire without having to go through the ordeal of posting an advert, reviewing, you know, in some cases up to a thousand, if not more CVs, and then having to manage, you know, the the, the everything else that comes with that so I think that's the first thing to say I think from a you know an individual perspective what I would some of the things that I would be doing is uh, certainly reaching out to uh, you know my own network um, this could include like previous colleagues like people that I've worked with previously um, sharing a status on LinkedIn or posting on LinkedIn um, or even perhaps on, you know, uh, the DBR Slack channel or various like talent, um, uh, like, you know, various like talent community forums. Um, so I think that's the first thing I do. Secondly, I would be looking at reaching out to uh, any contacts that I have with like recruitment agencies. 
I actually think recruitment agencies can play a really like vital role with you know during times like this just given that you know they're obviously speaking to lots of other people in a similar position um and you know, hopefully they should be able to you know give you some kind of real uh, context around you know or like valuable insights into you know what companies are looking for at the moment um and just kind of any tips generally on um yeah the market and how to approach the search so i do, I do think recruitment agencies can be really useful and actually you know there are lots of companies that don't you know as i mentioned earlier that don't want to be advertising a role for hundreds and thousands of applications so they will outsource it to an agency which you know means that the whole process generally speaking should be you know a lot more um efficient for them because they may only have to speak to three people as opposed to you know 30 people um other things would be uh, to reach out to companies that you're particularly passionate about um, or start having a think about companies who you think would have weathered or remained quite resilient to the COVID world. Um, you know, as we touched on earlier, you know, life sciences, health tech, some of these kind of tech delivery companies, you know, lots of those have been quite resilient throughout. So perhaps looking at some of those and thinking about some companies that you've heard of or you've, um, uh, yeah, you know, you've heard of and you're kind of quite familiar with. Um, the last thing would probably be to go through various online media platforms like Sifted or TechCrunch um, and various others uh, to identify companies have recently gone through a funding round. The chances are, you know, they're going to be hiring um, or, you know, they will be hiring at some point in the future. So it's definitely worth kind of putting yourself on their radar. That's where I've seen probably the most success. Um, that and, you know, the other one, just reaching out to companies that, you know, you're particularly passionate about um i've seen certainly uh, three or four examples of people who you know were either made redundant or really weren't enjoying their role you know they stumbled across a company you know, listening to a podcast they stumbled across a company that they really liked the sound of they reached out to the ceo you know they sent them a message saying hey love what you guys are doing i think it's brilliant if you ever have any hiring needs please get in touch and, you know, on several occasions, I've seen that. That's probably been one of the most, you know, it, it seems very speculative. It seems like a really long-term strategy, but actually it, it can be the most effective because it, it's the most logical in that, you know, they may have just raised funding or actually you're expressing to the CEO or someone who works there how passionate and interested you are um, in the business. You know, as long as they're, you know, growing and they're going in the right direction, then, you um, you know, I'm sure they, you know, there are lots of companies that would love to hire that sort of person. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, just, to, just to echo some of those points, one of the things that I did early on during my search was I put this Google Alerts um, uh, setting to let me know, like, with search terms like London, funding, fintech, uh, software, st stuff like that. And if I saw a company that was getting funding, um then i immediately start messaging them like hey congrats <laughs> on the funding by the way if you're yeah. looking for a recruiter to help you with your growth let me know that led to like a maybe not a, not that many but like a few responses like oh yeah actually um you know we we are yeah send me your cv which uh you know it's better than nothing right 
Um, and also one thing that I've noticed is like networking is, is actually much more important than I thought. Um, because one of the things that I've been doing is connecting with a lot of recruiters. Um, and uh, well, yeah, mainly, mainly recruiters and, um, and just letting them know like, hey, you know, um, if, you're, if uh, you guys are amazing, if, you're, if you ever need recruitment support, then let me know. And then you'd be surprised like a few weeks later or a month later, they'd be like, oh, by the way, Jose, um, yeah, we're, we're actually, now we're looking for, for a recruiter. So keen to get in touch. And uh, maybe one one that we haven't touched upon is is personal personal branding because I think that's helped. Like I've I've been posting on LinkedIn on social media quite consistently, and it does you do get people coming back to you like, hey, you know, quite enjoy your your posts. Where where um, you know actually my company is looking for recruitment a recruiter, so I'm happy to to forward your CV if you're still looking. So it actually works. I mean, it's um, before the search, I was like, yeah, that probably doesn't work, but it actually does. I mean, it, yeah. It, it's a long-term strategy, but it, it, it and then there's very few tangibles in it. You know, you, you, you don't really see the benefits of it until a lot further down the line, but you know what, you don't see the benefits, but what you know, other people are recognizing it. So, you know, every time you do a post on LinkedIn, someone new may see it every time you do it, you know, another one. And, and it's, it, it goes like that, really. But I think it's definitely probably one of the most important things at the moment. Um, and, and I think, you know, just to add to that, actually, and we haven't really talked about the interim market. We've probably, you know, I've tried to include it a little bit, but actually, you know, for someone that is, you know, immediately available because they have been affected by, or, you know, made redundant, affected by COVID, you know, I think that is a market, you know, I think IR35 will be pushed back again. I don't envisage it being um, you know, implemented next year. I think it, it would make no logical sense for them to do that. So I think that will be pushed back again. And that's when, you know, I think it's going to be really important for people. You know, if I, I think, you know, people don't want to plan for 12 months down the line, but what people can do is plan for the next six months. And, you know, once people rec- you know, have raised funding or recognize that actually they're going to need to hire, doing it on a three-month uh, basis or a six-month basis, whatever it may be, I do think demand for that will pick up. Now, you know, what contract recruiters are very good at or the good ones are very good at is building out their personal brand. You know, they, yeah, but building out their personal brand. I think that's for anyone, it's really important, but especially for someone that's immediately available can actually, if they could do a three-month contract or a six-month contract to help tie them over, you know, hopefully it will help navigate them out of this you know, quite difficult period. Yeah, it's such a such a tricky one. Would you say personal branding? It's it's one thing that I've been looking at. I mean, would it be um, would it be a skill that that every recruiter should should have, or what are ways that recruiters can can improve their visibility out there? I think that's pro- at the moment. That's the bit thing that I would leave you with. I think you know, for everyone to have be having a think about you know what they could be doing, whether it be their personal brand or generally marketing. You know, what I've seen over the past six months is that's probably one of the most um, uh, important skills to have, and I think will only you know it, it will become almost um, imperative. Absolutely. Now, um, wanted to talk about a slightly tricky, tricky topic, um, which is 
salary expectations, right? I mean, when it comes to the internal recruitment market, have you seen a shift in, in, in salaries? And what should sort of be the strategy of internal recruiters when, um, you know, when engaging in these negotiations? Because, uh, you know, it's obviously it's no surprise. It's been kind of a tricky one. So keen to get your, your thoughts there. Mm, thanks for this. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a really... Uh, it's a really, really tricky one. Um, and I'm constantly being asked this question. My first response would be to be very cautious when accepting a job for less than what you're currently uh, earning or what you've previously been earning. There are, of course, exceptions to this. You know, if you are moving industries or whatever, or taking a slightly um, different step in your career. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's always very, very dangerous taking too much of a drop on your uh, base earnings. Now, having said that, I think it is worth being mindful that lots of candidate salary expectations have come down. Mm. Now, th this basically means that there's a chance that you would be competing against people who have, you know, a lot more experience than you. Um, you know, an example of this would be a role that I've recently just recruited. Um, it was a talent partner for a Series A health tech startup. Um, you know, the candidate who got the job was, you know, quite open-minded and flexible on salary. She ended up uh, taking a slightly lower basic salary, not a significant drop at all. But you know, it, it, if she was in the market twelve months ago, you know, it, it would. I mean, you know, she would have been looking for probably a, a bumper on what she was on previously. Um, now, during the search, I spoke with a couple of candidates who, you know, were looking for an uplift on their current package. And, you know, as most people would be as well, you know, when looking for a new role, it's been really common that, you know, when you look for a new role, you want it's your chance to get a, you know, a, a salary increase. Yeah. Um However, the challenge we have is that, you know, these candidates had a lot less experience to the candidate who secured the role. So it, it, as much as, well, well, I think just to manage expectations, people probably aren't going to, you know, we saw some crazy stuff happening up <laughs> until the beginning of this year. You know, there were people with, you know, a few years experience, you know, being paid £60,000. You know, there were you know, there were people with, you know, individual contributors being paid up to kind of 90 plus thousand pounds or oh, day wow. rates of 450, 500 pounds a day. So, you know, I think it's about just being, um, you know, mindful that actually, you're, you know, you're probably not going to get the 10k increase or the 15k increase that you previously would have got. So, you know, you, you may have to sit and ride it out you know unless you are willing to compromise because the market you'd be coming into mm. is a market where it, people are looking more out of necessity which means that you know they're going to be a lot more open-minded on you know, their earnings so yeah you know i think just to summarize but be be open-minded but you know be very cautious that you're not going to accept a job for significantly less than what you were previously on because you know, there's a chance that, you know, I wouldn't say the salary levels of those jobs have changed a huge amount. You know, a talent partner for a, you know, a tech startup would probably be somewhere between 55 to 65,000. And, 
you know, that, that's still the case, but it just means that the people that were previously on maybe 65, 70, where they would normally be looking for 75, 80 or whatever, they're actually now considering roles at that kind of 55, 60K level. Yeah, and one, one thing that, I, um, that I've been thinking about, although I'm, I'm a bit biased in this, um, is that hiring managers should be a bit careful when, when let's say, engaging with, I mean, candidates that are ready to, to take a pay cut, right? Because, um, you know, we've seen it a lot of times, even before COVID, me as a recruiter also, the candidate says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm on whatever it is, 70, but I'll take 50. But that obviously leads a, leaves a bad taste in their mouths. And then once the market picks up again, um, you know, what are they going to do, right? That's, that's sort of the big question. Well, this is it. You know, I think it's only going to be a matter of time that, you know, those people that have considered, you know, less that, you know, if someone takes a 10, 15K uh, drop in earnings, you know, it's only going to be, you know, early next year or the middle of next year that, that you know, they start thinking, actually, I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure this role is right for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it would only be a matter of time. And I think people are quite cautious of it. But, you know, I think it's also quite uh tricky to discount someone that's really good on the basis that um you know on, on the basis that they've you know they really like that person so no I, I would definitely agree with you but i think also for candidates it's really important to be mindful that you know don't just consider a role because it's a role even though it's paying fifteen thousand less than what you were previously on um because the chances are it, you know it won't be the right role for you gotcha now just to just to start wrapping up, but keen to get your your thoughts on, you know, so next the next sort of three to to maybe nine twelve months. I mean, how do you see the internal recruitment market developing? I mean, I know we got November, December, January coming up. That's always like, especially December is a bit of a tricky month. Then potentially there is a second wave or something along those lines. Um, so there's there's ups ups and downs i would say also maybe hopefully companies have learned that okay maybe the panic is not it's it's not it's we don't need to panic that much because okay we're wearing face masks this in fact and we're doing this and that so hopefully things will you know companies won't panic it's all a lot of it is panic i would i would arguably say but how do you see the market developing in the next few months i think it's probably too early to say at this stage Mm -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I am optimistic that things will bounce back relatively quickly. Um, the one thing I would say is I do think a lot of people will leave the industry, you know, especially if they don't you know, love it. Um, and, you know, we, we've already kind of started to see early signs of, you know, people making that transition away. But, you know, I think we've also started to see early signs of things starting to pick up. And I think, you know, it will only be, uh, you know, a matter of time. Um, My opinion is that the kind of junior end of the market will bounce back very quickly. You know, we've already started to see this. Um, I think the talent partner level, the one that I was referring to earlier, that kind of, you know, 50 to maybe 70K, you know, I think, in, in, you know, in some of those kind of, which I, the talent partner is what I would describe as like a, um, or refer to as like the first talent hire into like an early stage 
uh, you know, startup or early stage business. Um, I think those sort of roles will remain quite resilient because actually I think the more, you know, we may lose some, but they will be replaced by other companies who will take their place that, you know, have remained quite resilient or, you know, have grown uh, over the past six months. Um, the, the level that I probably worry about the most um, is the kind of 45 to 70k individual contributor roles, you know, within some of these slightly more established businesses, just because they, you know, they predominantly rely on high volume recruitment within some of these big tech companies or maturing startups. And, you know, lots of these companies seem to be a little bit more cautious at the moment. But, you know, again, I think it will only be a matter of time before those guys start picking things up. And when they do, it will have a big knock on impact on the rest of the market, I would say. But um, yeah, certainly at the moment, you know, we, we that's where the biggest gap has been probably. Nice one. And how about for Hawkwood? What's what's in the pipeline? What's what's cooking? What's uh, what's happening? Mm, we yeah i mean to be honest, we've been we've remained relatively resilient to everything that's gone on um you know thankfully the, we were able to move uh, people onto the uh, furlough scheme which was brilliant but most of those guys are back now so yeah we, we've got loads of stuff we're working on loads of projects that we've been really keen to do over the past couple of years and just haven't had a chance to do um you know we've started to see things really start to pick up this month um so for us it's the what when as i mentioned you know that talent partner level that kind of 50 to 70k so you know if there's any talent partners listening we'd love to kind of hear from you you know that want to kind of join another kind of early stage uh, startup um and then you know if there's any like hr people listening the that kind of head of people role you know we've started the, the hr market has remained really resilient to everything that's gone on it hasn't been impacted much at all just yet um, and I, I don't anticipate it being impacted i do think there will be some changes just given you know if a company has restructured or downsized they probably don't need the hr director or the chief people officer that they previously had they could probably rely on a hr business partner stepping up into a head of people role but yeah that that head of people role we've you know we've had um uh you know we, well we've certainly got quite a few bit, um things on within that space yeah I and mean, if there's any head of people's listening then yeah i'd love to hear from them nice one okay you heard him guys anyone listening looking for the next role please let our boy pete know um peter really wanted to thank you for uh your time i think hopefully we've discussed a lot of really good stuff here and hopefully it's of of use to to anyone listening so wanted to thank you once more for your time no problem i hope it was useful to anyone listening yeah no problem thank you it was great catching up with peter you can find his profile in the episode description. If you like this podcast, then please subscribe or follow. Thanks again and stay safe.